You are Locked On Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Horn Frogs. It's Wednesday. It's our final kind of uh, decompression from baseball season. My pal Eric Hughes is with me. And Eric, um, you know, we talked about it a little bit off the air, but Friday, Frogs get it done. Started really slow, at least on offense, but finally sort of broke through and beat McNeese State. Uh, Saturday, felt like they were going to pull it off. They're up 6-2 on DBU in the seventh, and then things started to go downhill. Uh, before we start breaking down exactly what went wrong in that game, could you tell on Sunday, and, and that was kind of a weird game too, like TCU was up, and it felt like they were in control, but they were only up 2 nothing. Uh, could you just kind of feel the energy leave the team and uh, the crowd after that sort of meltdown on Saturday night? Yeah, it definitely, uh, you know, when you when you blow a four or five run lead, whatever it was, uh, late, not just early, but late, um, you start to kind of get it in your head. And I think it, it, it there's kind of that feeling in Lupton. It was like, oh, this uh, – this thing may this thing may not go down as as we're expecting it to or as we're used to, and so um, yeah, I mean it definitely kind of zapped the energy out of the out of the crowd, and even going into Sunday, you know, like you said, the frogs were were up early, um, so that was a good feeling. But um, yeah, it just it never really felt the same once they once that eighth inning, seventh, eighth inning, whatever it was against DBU went down. It just – things kind of started trickling and snowballed, however you want – whatever the term you want to use. And it just didn't didn't feel the same from then on. Well, and let me say, I mean, con- congratulations and kudos to DBU. Like, that's a good yes. baseball team. And yes. Oregon State is a good baseball program. And I don't – you know, I haven't watched them all year long, but – I'll tell you, the guys they were throwing on Sunday afternoon and even into Monday, uh, they look like a pretty solid team. So we knew this was going to be a tough regional. Now, should TCU have won? Yeah, probably. And definitely on Saturday night, that was a big miss opportunity. But there were other teams on the field that played well. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's right, let's get to the let's get to the thing that everybody was talking about. So seventh inning, Drew Hill starts. He had a nice sixth. Um, he wasn't, like, untouchable in the seventh, but felt like he was still doing okay. And they decided to pull him and go with River Ridings, which, I mean, River's been great all year. Um, you could kind of tell. I don't know if it was just big moment or what, but those first two pitches weren't really close to the zone, and it didn't get much better from there. An error did not help. And then he brought on Luke Savage. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't think a lot about that at the time. Like, I remember being like, oh, Luke Savage, huh? And it wasn't until after he gave up the three-run double that I thought, Halen Green's in the bullpen, Garrett Wright, Marcelo Perez. I mean, there, there were a number of guys available who had much more experience in that situation. So, 
I mean, I want to give Flosh benefit of the doubt, maybe it was a matchup thing, but I, I just – I can't really wrap my head around – yeah, you still had a, a two-run lead, but that's a big situation and a big game, and it feels like you're asking a lot of Luke to, to bring him in and put him on the mound in, in that scenario. That that was the one. I, I typically don't um, second-guess coaches and pitching changers just because – They've got a lot more info than we do. Sure. Um, but that was the one that I just – I couldn't wrap my head around. And in the moment, whenever whenever River was um, struggling and the bases get loaded, in my mind – so there was one out in the eighth inning. In my mind, okay, here comes Halen Green. Like, you've got five outs to get and – this is these are the types of moments that you have used him in game after game throughout the whole season. Sure, he um, had the blow game against Kansas State, but came back and pitched well in the big pitch well in the Big Twelve tournament. So in my mind, he's going to Halen. He brings out Luke Savage, and I just yeah, it really I was I didn't I didn't understand it at all. Um, that was the one move that I really felt Schloss. Um, yeah, just made a wrong decision there, in my opinion. Um, you know, I think, of course, you want to save Halen. Yeah, you want to, you want him to be able to go multiple games if you can. But I mean, if you win that game too, you are so far ahead in the driver's seat than the rest of the crowd from there. Mm-hmm. Because if you win this game, all you got to do is win one more. The team that you're going to face the next night. They have to win three straight games. It's not a point of willpower at that point. It's just a point of you don't have enough guys. You don't have enough fresh arms. You don't have enough guys that can go. Um, and, sure, Halen gave up the, the game-winning run the next night. and So maybe things wouldn't have turned out any better than they did. Uh, but in my mind, you go to your go-to guy. Um, you ride or die with him. And then um, you let things happen from there. And so – yeah, I, I was um, pretty shocked that he didn't didn't roll with him. He's been pretty um, confident in him all season long, and so uh, not sure the thinking behind that, but uh, it didn't work out for the Frogs. Yeah, my take on it was, and I agree with you, I mean, if Halen Green gives up a three-run double to the eight-hole hitter, well, then, hey, it just wasn't meant to be. Like, that, you know, that's, that's life. Um, but – my perspective, and I, I don't like, I don't understand why this would be the mentality, but you mentioned saving arms. Um, you know, I guess maybe there was some thought of like, well, I want to have a fresh bullpen for the next couple of days, but nobody's built to get out of the loser's bracket. Like, it's just tough to do. Yeah. Especially that team, though, when yeah. you, you don't even really have a third starter. I mean, Chuck King is the guy that you sort of throw out there, but that's not his natural role. Uh, you know, if, if you won that game, I don't know, you probably would have had to start Johnny Ray or try to piecemeal something together with the bullpen. I just felt like he should have approached that game. Like it was a championship game. Like there weren't any more games after that. And for whatever reason, it felt like he was looking towards, Sunday and Monday when I think as you said if you get if you get to Sunday with the lead 
with that two-o cushion, then you're in a much better situation. Totally. I mean, the and credit to Oregon State, they almost did it. I mean, they yeah. they 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 came from losing the first game and pushed it all the way to a Monday night game. But even then, on Monday they they came in, they brought in some guys that were almost recycled goods. I mean, we I'd seen them throw multiple times throughout the tournament. And, you know, I mentioned it's not about willpower. You, it's not about wanting it more. It's just a matter of my guy has thrown already or I'm using a guy that isn't as good as the rest of the team, isn't as good as the rest of the guys. And so um, he's just not going to have the stuff that you need to have to get the outs down the stretch. And that's what happened for Oregon State. Their bullpen down the stretch didn't get it done. Um, and so I think the, the Frogs have – Shalas has, has – he, he has a winning formula um, for the past 10 years. And and getting – just getting those first two wins, it, they, it's happened more times than not. Um, so you think he knows what he's doing, and he does know what he's doing. I'm not trying to say he doesn't, but it just was a questionable decision. And I, I think that if he had to do it over, I think he would have done it differently. All right, so – just looking ahead, um, this has been a roller coaster of a season. You know, we've we've had Mondays, or we're recording this on Tuesday. It's airing on Wednesday. We typically record on a Sunday night. We've had Sunday nights where we're like top ten team in the country, just rolling, <laughs> coming off a sweep, like dominant sweeps. And we've of course had weekends where we're just like, what is going on? And and we know what that's about. It's it's erratic pitching is a lot of it. And mm-hmm. a lineup that I think was red hot to start the year and kind of cooled off as the year went on. But I'm going to sound really spoiled here. I understand that. It's been a little while since they've been to Omaha. And you could argue they haven't really been close as of late. Um, so – it's a hard thing to do, but I feel like I look at Lubbock and Tech seems to do it. You know, we'll see what they do in the Super Regionals, but they do it pretty consistently now. Texas is putting together a nice run, Arkansas, et cetera. What has to happen for this team, for this program, Eric, if somebody watches them closely, to kind of get back to that level where you feel more comfortable at them getting out of a regional and, and potentially winning a Super Regional? I think you saw this year the recruiting game stepped up and you had freshmen that were performing. Um, in the past couple years before that, it seemed like there was a little bit of a lull. You weren't, you weren't getting the guys that were the top of the line guys. You weren't even – you were getting – I mean, Sloss likes to, likes to use transfers, um, get some more experienced guys in there. You weren't seeing – that as much this year um, you kind of had the best of both worlds in the older guys coming back for one more year and you had a good recruiting class coming in and so um, you know I think recruiting is a big deal and um, I, I can't remember what number they are for this upcoming class but they have another um, supposedly good class coming in so you know I think it's just staying consistent with the recruiting recruiting class uh, and just getting more 
you mentioned it, more consistency out of your pitching. I think they've got the guys that are in the pen right now, they've got um, high-level stuff. I mean, you've got Jacob Metter coming out of the pen throwing 95-plus. You've got um, Garrett Wright. You've got Luke Savage. You've got guys that have potential, but it, but they just aren't able to put it together. And so you really just need more consistency out of – out of um, your pitching staff in general. And uh, the Frogs are going to lose quite a bit out of that rotation. Uh, Russell Smith expected to be drafted, Austin Krobe as well. Um, And so, you know, it's going to be tough to tough to replicate that and and make it happen this season, uh, this upcoming season, I should say. Um, But yeah, they're absolutely just going to need to get more consistency on uh, the pitching front. I think they're going to be fine. Um, from a lineup standpoint, you got Braden Taylor coming back. You've got um, you are you are going to be losing some pieces with Hunter Wolf and Philip Sykes and a couple of those guys, but I think they'll be able to um, piece the lineup together. Um, okay, but it really it just comes down to pitching, getting more consistency, actually getting the results, not just having the potential, but getting the results that you're expecting from those guys. Yeah, I need I need Crobin Smith to come back. I mean, just kidding. Like, I know they're probably going to get drafted, and I want you guys to get your dream. But, man, <laughs> those two guys at the top of the rotation after a year of experience I think would be pretty nasty. Um, totally. We'll see, though. It's a good point. Like, they're going to have to figure it out. I don't know. I don't really know what happens with Johnny Ray. I'm not sure what his eligibility situation is. But, um, obviously, at the end of the year for him was really, really tough. We'll see. It is going to be a, a new look team, at least on the pitching front, um, going into the next season. Okay, so before we go, let's address the elephant in the room. Um, there's there's a lot of rumors. I think it's maybe fair to say they're going beyond rumors at this point. Jim Sloshenagel and A&M seem to have mutual interest in each other. Uh, doesn't mean it's going to happen, but on June 8th at 10 o'clock at night, it seems like it's trending that way. So, for what it's worth, Drew Davidson from the Four Star Telegram said yesterday that uh, sources inside the program or the university are basically saying they're bracing themselves for him to leave if they offer him. Um, kind of weird timing. I've heard some things about why. I don't want to divulge that because it's personal business. But – and I don't even know if it's true. Also, that's a caveat that I want to make. But Kirk Sarloose is kind of the the coach in waiting, and I like Kirk a lot. I just wonder, Eric, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this. Um, if they promote him, I think that's fine. But is this job big enough or – trying to word this correctly. I think this job is big enough at this point that it would be a disservice if you at least didn't kind of see who's interested and gauge some other candidates. But what do you think about if he does leave, you know, the potential of who could step in moving forward? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, The other part of that too is that the – um, Cal State Fullerton job has just opened up and that's uh, mm-hmm. uh, where Kirk had kind of started and got things going and so um, 
that's just another piece to the puzzle that we don't have all the information to, but it's interesting to speculate about. Um, I do think that, um, that Kirk would probably be the guy um, if Schloss decides to leave and head down to College Station. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because you think it's interesting to think of a pitching coach as a head coach, you know? Um, but I know um, even now you've got Schloss is kind of the program builder is kind of the name, uh, but, and then you have Kirk Sarloose as kind of the pitching coach and Bill Moziello working the offense. And so um, I don't think things would change a ton if that, if that were to, be the case um i know Kirk Sarlus is he does from what i've heard he does all the recruiting for especially for pitching and everything so i don't think that there would be a huge um hit on the pitching front you know tcu's had some great arms come through here and go to the majors so uh, i don't think that that would be uh something that frog fans would have to worry about um but yeah, I, I wouldn't mind them doing just kind of a um, just feeling things out just with other coaches. You know, I I don't think that you could pry away any big university, you know, SEC type coaches to come to TCU. Um, but you know, there'd be some interesting um, names. You know, I think uh, I'm blanking on the the DBU coach's name, but you even kind of in, in, in joking, just mentioned something about him. He's been uh, at DBU for um, for a long time now, and he's built a really solid program. So would that be somebody you're interested in? Um, you know, it's it's something to think about. But I do personally, I think that if if Schloss leaves, I think that uh, Kirk Silas would probably be the guy to, to take over the reins. I agree with that. Um, and I think it's well-deserved. I mean, he's, he's been there for a long time. You know, he's had his chances to, uh, to leave, and he's, he's stuck around, which is a good sign of loyalty and I think a good sign of how he feels about the program. Yeah, Dan Hefner is the DBU coach. He's been yes. there a long time. No idea sure. if he'd have interest, but private school down the road, it would kind of make sure. sense. And before we go, let me just throw on my two cents, like, I think there's a narrative going around and we like we criticized some decision making in this podcast. So I understand, you know, this kind of might feel like empty words at the moment, but um, I think there's a narrative that's sort of circling that maybe this is a good thing and TCU could, could do better. And I'll just say, I've had some bones to pick with Slosh about decision-making, but uh, getting to five College World Series is not an easy thing to do. And no matter who steps in, like, I like Kirk Sarlis. From what I know about him, great pitching coach. Uh, being a manager is different. I don't know if he's going to waltz in and be a great manager. <laughs> I know the dude that's the manager right now has a pretty good track record. So mm-hmm. – if he wants to leave, that's fine. Like, I don't want to keep somebody around that doesn't want to be here. I understand that's life. But let's just let's just pump the brakes a little bit on this idea that, like, it's time for everybody to part ways because eh, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure about that. 
the grass is not always necessarily greener. I, I 100% agree. I, I think, I mean, you just, it, it's hard for us and for, I know for diehard TC fans, um, because we see it through the lens of being a frog fan and, and going, whether you went to TC or just grew up here, whatever it is. But man, if you look at what he's done here at TCU at a small private school, what, 12, 13,000 students, whatever it may be, um, compared to other massive programs in the state of Texas, whether it's UT, um, Texas A&M, um, even just, you know, other programs, whether it's the Big 12 or the SEC, just all these big schools that are um, the best programs in the nation. The fact that that TCU is in that conversation and is in that is just, it's almost an anomaly um, when you think about it. Uh, when you look at the alumni base, you look at the funds that these other schools are pouring into their baseball program uh, compared to TCU. And so, um, yeah, I think it's frog fans should have, have gratitude for what Schloss has done because he's built this program from the ground up. I mean, he came here and, I believe it was 2004, 2003, 2004, and he's built the program into what it was. Um, and so, yeah, you, you're, we're not sitting here where we are five college world series later, uh, four and four straight years uh, without him, without what he's done. And so um, you don't have to love everything that he's done, but you definitely have to respect what he's done. And um, I'm certainly hopeful that he sticks around. It wouldn't, be a little bit more of a sting if he goes to A&M considering, you know, they're in the state of Texas and our history with them. But um, so I hope he stays around, but certainly he has the right to, to do it. Um, he feels this is the right thing for him and his family. And so, um, yeah, just respect to him. And hopefully, hopefully we're talking about uh, his team next, next year, um, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, A&M and TCU had some battles for sure, and we'll see if that continues over the next few seasons. Eric, thank you so much, man. You're doing great. We appreciate you hopping on one more time, and I really enjoy talking TCU baseball with you every week. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. It was a fun fun, uh, fun deal to do this year, so appreciate it. All right, we'll be back next February. <laughs> but until then, this has been Locked on Horn Frogs, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.